Psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Well, thank you for, for reading uh, that difficult sign. I was going to say, hands up, whose favourite psalm is Psalm 88? I mean, we went round the favourite psalms, 23, maybe, 139, 100, some 100, there's some wonderful psalms, but I doubt Psalm 88 would feature in there. I mean, praise God that we sung that wonderful, wonderful hymn at the start of this session. He will hold me fast, he will hold me fast. For my Saviour loves me so, he will hold me fast. This is such a wonderful hymn, that, isn't it? It's, a, it's great to be able to sing that. Um, it's not really what Psalm 88, the psalmist, is, is singing. Though I think underneath it, he knew that truth. Uh, we're, 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 we're returning to the songs of the saints. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll end with a very upbeat psalm this afternoon uh, which will be great but many of the psalms are in are in the in the minor key that's not a minor key. I, I don't know i don't really understand my music but they're in black and white rather than color that's the difference i put this in black and white in darkness because these are songs of lament that are sung in the darkness and of course it's not hard is it to see the darkness in the world uh, around us to see sin and suffering uh, everywhere, both outside and within. Um, I mean, personally, I, I've, I'm blessed to have been spared the deep darkness, I think, of suffering, certainly in my life up till now. I was a pretty privileged, sheltered childhood, um, you know, protected from much suffering. Uh, I remember as a young boy, the sadness when my, my grandma came to live with us in the last few weeks of her life and died at home in the, in the spare room. And Dad said, I'll go and 
you know, grandma's died and they go and say goodbye as you, before you go to school. And, so, and it was, I'm not sure I'm really glad that he did that. But, but you know, I remember the sort of bleakness and, and the sadness of that just for a, a week or two, really. And then, you know, she was old. And, 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 but it wasn't real suffering. I, I, you know, we experienced some miscarriages in our marriage and, and some bereavements of family and friends. And there were, you know, dashes, hopes dashed sometimes, some disappointment, some minor accidents and spells in hospitals, pressures in work and life. I mean, I've had tiny little glimpses of, of, of darkness, but not, not a lot. Um, but I was taking a funeral last week of, uh, for a woman who was, who was one of eight. Uh, her mum and three of her sisters all died of cancer before they were 60. Uh, she had two boys who had a rare condition, a rare genetic condition, couldn't walk or talk, could barely swallow, her husband left her when the second was diagnosed. Uh, she had to raise them on her own. The first made it to 21. The second lived to the age of 41. Uh, when he got too big for her to look after, she had to take three buses to go and visit this lad in, in, a, in the home. Uh, when she died, she lived a lonely life. Oh, sorry, when, when he died, she lived a lonely life. She, she couldn't really bear hearing people talk about their children and grandchildren and, and it was desperately painful like when she fell she broke a hip uh, it was discovered she had a bone disease that couldn't mend so it was just sort of bound up until another fall broke the other uh, and then dementia came and it was, it was a, hearing her sister, the, one of the surviving sisters hear the story it was a desperate story of a darkness just surrounding there's a few glimpses of light in, in that life but but mostly darkness. And I don't know what you've faced. I'm sure, well, I know one or two of you have spoken to you. Maybe even today there's some, some deep darkness uh, which you're going through. And you've, you, especially if you've managed, if you're doing that at the moment and you've managed to be here today, well, well done. It is, it's great to be here today. Uh, maybe there's someone you love who is going through suffering and pain, anguish, physically, mentally, spiritually. Uh, these things are often intertwined, aren't they? Uh, it's part of living in this broken and fallen and, and twisted world, this world in which God has been pushed out and we're living in sense under the curse. And, uh, and so at some point, even if it's not right now, we will face deep darkness and sadness and bereavement and sickness and age and and death ourselves. And so the question for this session is, is, is as God's people, how are we going to sing in the darkness? And then maybe how we could be alongside others who are in the darkness. Now, what will we sing when everything seems to be going wrong, when we can see no way out? You know, how do we face sadness and suffering as, as Christians? And, and so as we come to Psalm 88, to a, a man who knew what it was to, to be in this place of suffering, of utter darkness. Uh, psalm 88, of course, is one of the psalms of, of lament. You know, the 150 psalms that God has given us, many are songs of joy and praise, and, 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 and we'll end with that later on. But the, the psalms of lament are in this minor key. They're songs that express the, the brokenness of the world, that cry out to God from this place of, of, of suffering. And this one, this Psalm 88, is, is particularly hard, maybe, maybe the, the toughest of all the Psalms of Lament, because uh, as if you know it already or if you've read it through, as we have read it through, uh, most of the other Psalms of Lament end with a, 
a little glimmer of light. They sort of come to a little bit of resolution at the end. There's a, a moment of praise to God as he delivers or as he will deliver and a confidence and hope and expression of... But, but this psalm, as you see, has none of that. I mean, the very last word, darkness is my closest friend. This is a tough psalm. And like many of the psalms, we, we don't know the specific circumstances of this writer. Sometimes we, we're given um, uh, more context. Here, here, here we'll, we'll return to, to the little superscription there. Um, but we don't know particularly what was going on in his life. You know, some of the language suggests that he's physically sick and facing death. But the language may be metaphor and imagery for how he's feeling. What we, we do know is that he's in a desperate place. He, he, some of the words, he says his soul is full of trouble. He's without strength. He's cut off, abandoned, overwhelmed. He feels confined, trapped. He can't escape. His eyes are dimmed with grief. He feels rejected, afflicted. He's despairing. As I said, that, larkest, that, that bleakest of last lines, darkness is my closest friend. That final word. One commentator writes that it, it takes us into the valley of the shadow of death like many psalms, but it doesn't take us out again. And praise God for Psalm 23, which the children were looking at. There's a wonderful through the valley with the Lord out to that banqueting table. But, but Psalm 88 doesn't take us there immediately. And maybe it's deliberate that we don't know the, the specifics of this situation because because he's expressing a way that many of us feel, that many people feel um, in this broken and hostile world. You know, I, I and probably you have heard this same kind of language of people suffering in dark depression, times of intense sadness. I feel confined. I feel my eyes are dim. I can't focus. There's this kind of language is people use. They face terrible uncertainty and they cope with serious anxiety. I've got a friend who, um, who went through a long, protracted, deep depression. A Christian man, um, but he couldn't pray uh, in that time of depression, particularly when he was lost. He, he couldn't read his Bible. He was, he was honest. He, he, he felt completely lost, completely uh, enclosed. Could not feel God, could not see God, could not contemplate uh, God in, in many ways. He just felt completely lost. And it was interesting, it was this chapter of the Bible, this was the only chapter of the Bible he could read, Psalm 88, because it seemed to him so honest, it articulated what he was feeling. He was able to know that he wasn't alone in, in the darkness when you hear someone else articulating, a Bible writer articulating what you're feeling. And so it's, it's good to, for us to, 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 to look at this psalm today, even though it's not upbeat and it's, and it's challenging and, and troubling in, in lots of ways um, but I think there are a number of helpful things that, it, that we can draw out of this psalm as we think about how we sing in the darkness how we face suffering uh, in our world so I, I've listed a few things we'll just we'll we'll, we'll go through them um, uh, briefly and, and I think the first the first uh, thing I, I wanted to just say is that this song shapes in a sense our expectation of the life of faith um, you know, Psalm 88 is the prayer of a believer, of someone singing in tune with God, uh, someone who keeps crying out to God. So that's where it starts. 
You know, oh Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Second part of verse 9. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. You see, here's a man who even in the midst of his his darkness, uh, of his unremitting trouble, he, he knows God. He knows him as Yahweh, his faithful covenant God, not just out there somewhere though he's clearly not experiencing this immediate salvation and deliverance that he's praying for, that he's desperate for, that he's longing for. And, and, and so maybe underneath he knows, he will hold me fast for my saviour loves me, he will hold me fast. Underneath, but it, and he's crying out for that, but he's not experiencing the deliverance. He's in this darkness. But he is a believer, and it's important to know that he is a, a believer, I think, because... You know, just in case we have that unbiblical but very common feeling that if we're Christians, we should be okay. If we're Christians, you know, if we're on God's side, you know, he should be protecting us from, from some of this stuff. You know, we should be all right if, if, we're, if we're on side. Um, we should be treated a little bit better than those who can't be bothered with God. Uh, in case that slips into our thinking that somehow we will escape suffering if we're Christians, we need this psalm and we need to know that this guy is a believer. Because the truth is, isn't it, as Christians, we're still living in the same broken, hostile world as everybody else. And sometimes our suffering will come as a result of being a Christian, uh, suffering for our faith, and the Bible speaks into that. Uh, But most often it will be because of just simply living in a fallen world in which there is suffering. And this psalm, and and so many other parts of the Bible, remind us of of that. You know, the book of Job is is another, of course, a classic text. Jesus tells Peter that Satan will sift him. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. You know, suffering darkness is part of a life in this fallen world. And, and, And you may not need reminding of it if you've trod that path or if you're treading that path right now. But it's good to shape our expectations rightly. So that when suffering comes, we won't be surprised. You know, the writer of this very bleak psalm is a believer. One commentator helpfully describes his situation and his praying as a, as a crisis in faith rather than a crisis of faith. It doesn't seem like he's stopped believing. He's not, he's not um, uh, letting go of God. He's holding on to God. He's keeping crying out, but he's brutally honest as he cries out to God. It's a crisis, easier than a crisis, but it's a crisis in faith rather than stopping believing. But he's brutally honest, and that's, that's the, the sort of second thing I want to say about the, the psalm and how it helps us to, to, to sing in the darkness. Because uh, I think it's calling us, it's modelling this honesty with God, and I'd want to extend that to honesty with others. So in many ways, it's an uncomfortable psalm to read, um, you know, he's pointing his finger at God, isn't he, in very strong and direct language. If you just look down, verse 5, again, I, you know, I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. For you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. feel the, the, the anguish and the pain, the agony of this man in his suffering. And he feels that he's been abandoned. 
that it's not fair, that God is against him, that God has been doing this. And he tells God. And it's recorded for us in the scriptures. And I think we have much to learn from this honesty to encourage those who are suffering and struggling to be honest. God is big enough to take it when we lash out, when we uh, accuse. We don't have to defend God. I, I sometimes, well, I often take funerals, and sometimes it happens at funerals where people come up to me afterwards, and I'm the sort of God representative. I've got my dog collar and, and so on, and they, they're angry. They're angry with, with God, they're angry with what has happened to their loved one and how it's happened, and, and they, they tell me that, and you know, I don't generally get at that point get into a long theological discussion with them. I thank them for their honesty, and I ask them to keep being honest, uh, to tell, us how, tell God how, he, how they feel. Um, and uh, it's good to be honest. Um, when I talk with people suffering from depression, and, and sometimes it feels as though God is not there at all. There was absolutely not a sense of God. It all seems so empty. Uh, there's a need for them to be able to say that. Uh, and and, and you know, we need to keep encouraging honest expression before God, both with God and, and with others. And it's, it's easy to, to cover over, to pretend. You know, we know that in, in a Christian life, in all of life, to put on a mask, to... Uh, to, to pretend all is well, partly because we feel we have to. We have to sort of live up to some false expectation that everything should be okay, especially if you're a Christian. Well, of course, we should be okay because you know, we're blessed. We live under the blessing and fruitfulness and prosperity. Our soul is prospering because I'm trusting Jesus. And, and so I, I can't possibly say that, actually. I feel awful, and I don't feel God is there at all, and I don't understand what is going on with, 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 with my life. No. We need to learn to be honest, honest with God, honest with one another. Uh, and we need to help each other with this. We need to create environments where we can share and be honest with God and with, with each other. Because suffering might last a long time. This, is, this psalm, I think, is, is pointing to that. It may even last a lifetime because there is no resolution in this psalm. And so suffering can, can go on until glory. We'll get there. And, 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 but the striking of this nature of this psalm is there's no resolution. Ends in darkness. The suffering continues as he faces the, the bleakness of death. Now that isn't the experience of every believer, of course. Some people have come out wonderfully out of places of darkness. They are, do experience a healing. They do experience walking through the valley and, and, and coming out. Uh, and light dawns again in life and praise God for that and I suppose some of you have been through dark valleys and you've come out and, and, and the light is shining again and, and, then, and, and, and yet that isn't guaranteed in this world I have a, a friend Matt Searle some of you may come across Matt Searle he's a wonderful preacher of the gospel and a pastor and a musician he's turned a number of the psalms into um, more modern songs and I remember him speaking on this, on the verse from Psalm 30. Do you remember, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. It's a great psalm. It's a lovely psalm. Such a great verse. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And he spoke about the certain hope of the morning, the resurrection, uh, morning, the certainty of complete healing in, in glory and the new creation. 
But he also had some wise things to say, both from his experience and from the Bible, about the weeping in the night, about the facing, about the darkness of suffering that Christians face. And, and one of the things I remember him speaking with, mentioning was he, how he spoke of a friend who had been paralysed in an accident. And he was in a very dark, bleak place. And people would say to him, oh, how are you doing? And they'd be desperate to hear, oh, I'm, I'm on the mend, you know, I'm making progress. And his friends would, would feel under pressure to say that, oh, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I'm yeah, a bit better, I'm, I'm, on, I'm making progress. When actually he wasn't making progress. In fact, he was feeling worse, he'd gone backwards. And this expectation of progress was, was adding extra pain, sometimes guilt. It is so hard to walk alongside someone who is suffering. I recognize that. We want to be alongside them, but we need to be sensitive and help people to be honest and to enable them to, 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 to be honest. That, you know, the truth is we live in a broken and hostile world. Christians will suffer like others. They, they don't always get well. Uh, their suffering is not always alleviated. And that seems to be the case for this psalmist. And so this song calls us to be honest. Honest with God in our own prayers and helping other people to be honest with God and honest with others. This, this psalm speaks more. He's, he's a believer. He's, he's suffering and struggling and being honest before God. Um, but this also speaks of God's uh, sovereignty in the darkness. As we read those verses 5 to 8, the psalmist is laying the blame for his suffering at God's door. And he says it again in verse 15, from my youth I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. And so the question is, is he, is he, is he right? Is this, just, is this just agony and he's sort of throwing out, lashing out at, at God? Or is he, is he right to point the finger of, to, to the finger of God in all of this? And of course this, this takes us into some deep theological waters. Uh, but I think the answer is, yes, he is right. With some caveats. He, he's a believer. He he knows that God is always in control, that nothing is outside of, of God's power, that the suffering of this world is in part a judgment of God in response to sin, as we see in Genesis 3. He curses the ground. He puts everything out of kilter. Romans 1 tells us that God's wrath is being revealed now in the handing over uh, to our sin. And though the Bible is very careful to rule out generally direct link between our suffering and sin. Sometimes it's clear and sometimes it often isn't. The psalmist is right to know that God is in control. Because there are caveats. God is not a direct agent of sin and suffering. We know the book of Job. The book of Job is a wonderful, wonderful book, isn't it? Who, like this psalmist, has lost everything, including those closest to him, like this psalm. And we know, although Job never does know, that it's Satan who directly inflicts the suffering. But he does it only as God allows him. And Job knows that it is God's hand who is 
over him and always in control. And so this song, it's hard to read and, and hard to hear, does speak of God's sovereignty in the darkness. He is in control. And, and although that raises questions, it is ultimately reassuring that God is, has got us, that God has got that psalmist, that writer, he man. And, and, and I love these words from uh, Alec Matea. I don't know Alec Matea. He's a wonderful Bible teacher with a, a pastoral heart who's, who's now in glory. But he writes this um, of Psalm 88. I think it's really, really helpful. You might be able to see it. Let me read it. Uh, he says, like this lovely psalmist, don't hesitate to see your trials as coming from the hand of God. Don't bother your head with problems arising or thought to arise from seeing this way. This is the truth of the matter. If we are in the soup, it is he who has decided what sort of soup it is and at what temperature and how long and why. He is God. Jesus has assured us that we cannot be plucked from his hand and the Father's hand. Where were we when trouble came? Why, where we always are, in his hand. Did the trial get in because he let go of us? Certainly not. The trial only means that he grips us more tightly. It's wonderful truth that if we're in the soup, God knows what the soup is. He's put us there. He knows how long it's going to last. But he'll never let go of us from his sovereign hand. And the psalmist may not have felt like that as he wrote this psalm, but he... He knew that he was a believer. And it, we can sing, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Saviour loves me so, he will hold me fast. So the song reminds us of, of the life of faith, it creates our expectations, suffering will be normal. It calls us to honesty, being honest with God and with, with, with one another. It speaks of, of God's sovereignty, uh, even over suffering, uh, that raises questions I know. We might want to talk about those. And then, uh, uh, fourthly, a uh, fourth perspective that we can pick up from this psalm is, is that it, it warns us of the, to flee from the, from the wrath to come. And someone described this psalm as a, as a prayer from the jaws of hell. A prayer from the jaws of hell. See, this man is describing in, in many ways what hell is like as you read it through the experience speaks of loneliness of the wrath and the terrors of God of, of that which is devoid of good where there is no light where there's no escape where darkness reigns that, that is a picture of, of hell as we see it uh, described in the Old and New Testament of the judgment that Jesus warned of that the apostles spoke of and so in some ways, as he feels abandoned from God, as he senses what it feels like to be under uh, the wrath of God, it's just giving us a small glimpse of what it is to be under the wrath of God, to be cut off from, from God. Even though it's not true for this man, he's a, he's a believer, God is holding him fast, he has, is with him, even though he doesn't feel it. We're getting a glimpse in this psalm of what it is to be cut off from God. And so if that feels like that for this psalmist who is a believer... Imagine facing this without God and without hope where there is no end. 
So if it gives us a glimpse of, of, of how well, then we, we, it's a warning to, to encourage us to flee from that, uh, as Jesus encourages us to do. And then it, it, it leads us, of course, then to, to the man who has been to hell for us, who has experienced this psalm for us. Uh, even more fully than the writer of Psalm 88. Uh, and so this psalm, uh, I think as we grasp hold of it, um, leads us to, to love Jesus more. See, as we, get, as we read this psalm, we're, we're getting a window into the suffering of, of Christ. I mean, all the psalms speak of Jesus. This is, all of them are his songbook, and all of them, this the specific messianic psalms that we know, like Psalm 2, someone reminded me that Psalm 1 and 2 provide the foundation for, for the book of Psalms, with Psalm 2 focusing so specifically on Jesus. And, and, and so some are more specific, but, but all of the psalms, as we've seen in um, Luke 24, Jesus reminds us, he teaches how the psalms point to him, and all of them do. And in this psalm, we, we get a glimpse, a tiny glimpse into the terrors that Jesus faced uh, on the cross. It's not a coincidence. This psalm is set in, Angli- in the Anglican lectionary. For those of you who are interested in the Anglican lectionary, that's the sort of setting the readings that are set throughout the year. Um, and this is set for Evensong on Good Friday. Uh, Christopher Ash describes it as, as like Gethsemane before Golgotha. At that prayer of Jesus in anguish, knowing that he's going to the cross, knowing that he's going to face hell. This is a sense that gives you the feeling that that it was for, for Jesus. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your ways. You've taken me from my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. Uh, here's Jesus on the cross, abandoned, betrayed, under God's wrath, cut off. And we know that he was there for us, out of love for us forsaken that we might never be forsaken going through this that we might never ultimately need to go through uh, this see the song points us to to the Jesus who has suffered with us and for us and reminds us that he's in there with us in the suffering and it should fill our hearts with gratitude and love for him as we meditate on this psalm and, and then the cross and what Jesus has done for us. And when we find ourselves in the darkness, we know that we're never alone because Jesus has trod this path of, of darkness, that we have a high priest who has gone that way and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us because he has suffered. And because of what Jesus has done, uh, look, we can know that this song is not the final song. I mean, in some sense, we don't want to lose the power of Psalm 88. It ends in darkness, and, and that is the overwhelming sense and tone of this psalm. But it's the one psalm not resolved, doesn't end in resolution, but, but we are Christians, and we live in the light of the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. We live in the light of Jesus going through Psalm 88 on the cross and then bursting out of the tomb to life 
and he promises to establish a new heaven and a new earth uh, where there is no more mourning or crying or pain, where there's no more Psalm 88 anguish, where God himself wipes every tear from the eye and where sin and suffering will be no more uh, and where we'll see Jesus face to face and become like him and we will sing songs of praise for eternity, as we'll look at later on. Uh, that's where the writer of Psalm 88 is right now set free from the darkness. It's where this, this guy who wrote this song, who was a believer, is now in glory uh, singing songs of eternity, singing songs, songs of praise. It's where countless Christians who have been through deep and dark suffering uh, are now with the Lord. As we look in Revelation and we see those uh, brought out of the tribulation uh, singing God's praises. And it's where we will be one day, whatever darkness we face uh, we, uh, or are facing, you know, the songs of lament will not be the final songs because there's always hope as we look to Jesus, as we come to Jesus, knowing that he has firm hold of us. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For the Saviour loves me so, he will hold me fast. And then just, I mean, that's, that's where we're heading. That is, we're heading beyond Psalm 88, through Christ uh, into, into glory uh, where um, we will sing another song. But just to, just to end briefly with a thought on how those who sing this song you know, can help others to sing in the dark. I had a lovely chat with someone over coffee where this was, this was a sort of testifying to this because I, I remember a, listening to a, a woman who had suffered from, from long, deep, dark depression. Um, she came and spoke at, uh, at our church, and she was trying to help churches be better at supporting those going through uh, tough times. And one thing she, she said stood out, and I, I remember writing it down, uh, and she said, look, sometimes people ask me if, if God can use broken people. And she said, I always respond, God only has broken people. And I thought this is a, it's a good answer. It's a, a reminder. You see, we're all broken in some ways. We're all affected by the fall. There's darkness of sin and suffering in, in, in all of us. But amazingly, we're still useful to God. And often shaped and made more useful by going through the darkness of Psalm 88 or the equivalent. Because we see that in, in Scripture in other places. You know, Jacob wrestles with God. He's given a permanent limp. But through it, he's matured. He's more equipped to, to lead the, the people of God. That Paul's thorn in the flesh humbles him and makes him more useful to God in his ministry. Uh, we didn't read the inscription at the top of, of Psalms. And we have to be a bit careful not to build too much on those little words that uh, are in there. But... But if you look at that, that, this psalm is the psalm of the sons of, of Korah. For the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonoth, which is probably a, a sort of musical thing, a masculine of Heman the Ezraite. Now, probably that is Heman, not master of the universe, as I grew up with, um, but Heman, who is listed in, in 1 Chronicles 6, put in charge of music, uh, at the temple by King David. Uh, he was known as Heman the musician, a descendant of Korah. 
Now, we, we can't be certain of this, but, but it suggests that it's this man who suffered so deeply, who was in such anguish, was a famous musician, a, a worship leader in the, in the courts of David, appointed by David, who, who set this lament to music to be part of the worship of God's people. This was a, a song to be sung. You know, perhaps so that others might be companions along the way, alongside the depressed and the outcast and those in darkness. The point is we, we can be useful to God in our brokenness, uh, useful to be God as, as broken people in a broken world, uh, ministering alongside. Our experience of singing in the darkness can help others to sing in that darkness too. It's good to know that, isn't it? Especially if, when we're in a time of, of darkness. My, my friend James, who was, I was at a theological college with, he was, a, he was an amazing bloke. He was Bermudan. He was sort of tough. He was a slightly intimidating guy. Uh, at his funeral, he was described as a rough diamond with the emphasis on both words. And uh, I loved that. And he was, um, he, he, he'd sort of, you'd, you'd see him and he'd say, hey, John, what did you learn in your quiet time this morning? You know, he's just that sort of person who you thought, if I'm going to see James, if I'm planning to see James, I must make sure I've read the Bible and I've got something to say. And then, you know, woe betide if you actually bumped into him when you hadn't, you know. But um, he was gracious as well. But anyway, uh, a year into his curacy, he, he, um, he went to take a funeral and he actually collapsed in the entrance of the crematorium. And he was diagnosed with a, a brain tumour. Uh, he had a, a year of, of deep suffering, of dying of anguish in lots of ways but of but of a confident faith too and in that year of darkness he was able to minister richly to to me from his place of brokenness and suffering and and to many others you know in a deeply profound way um, because of his honesty uh, because of his, his faith and 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 those who have sung this song you know how to help others sing in the darkness. Uh, you'll probably know the story behind the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, it's another great hymn, like, He Will Hold Me Fast, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford, you know, lost his, his wealth, and then as a, he finished off his business in the States, he was going to come over to, to Britain, and his wife and his children went ahead uh, of him, and the ship went down in the middle of the Atlantic, and his four daughters were, were drowned, his wife survived and telegraphed back to America to tell him what had happened. And you know, can't imagine the pain and the anguish and the suffering for him. And, and he, he crosses the Atlantic to join his wife. Uh, about four days into the journey, he's told that this is, this is the place where the ship went down. And he penned that amazing hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like... Sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And that song was born out of darkness and pain. And of course it's been a song of enormous comfort and strength for many people uh, over the years who have uh, themselves sung in places of darkness. Psalm 88 is a, a remarkable song. Of course the writer didn't have that peace himself he doesn't sing it is well with my soul or he will hold me fast 
though I think he would have come out of it, or at least if, it's, if it is He-Man who comes out and is able to set this to music and, and make it a part of worship. Uh, but whatever his situation, this writing has been a source of blessing for those who find themselves in darkness. It's a song that shapes our expectations of life and faith. We will suffer. There will be suffering. Let's not be surprised when it, when it comes. It's a song that calls us to be honest with God and with one another, to cry out to him and to, to be honest with, with others. It might not be with everybody. We might need one person or a small group to, to be really honest with, but be honest and allow people to speak honestly with you. Don't try and come up with a solution too quickly. Allow people to speak. Uh, it's a song that calls us to be, uh, that, that calls us to trust because it speaks of God's sovereignty, uh, that we might trust him. A song that warns us of the reality of, of hell, uh, that we would flee from it and flee to Jesus who has gone through Psalm 88, gone through hell for us. And it should fill our hearts with a great love for him and a confident hope that this song is not the last song, but we will sing another song. But until we get to that day, let's be those who seek to minister to others, uh, even in their times of darkness. Let's pause for a moment. Perhaps we just want to um, have a moment of quiet. You might want to just reread Psalm 88 uh, on your own. We've got about five minutes before we go to break. But uh, yeah, let's just have two or three minutes of, of quiet. And then maybe the one or two questions or comments if you want to uh, before we break for lunch. <laughs>